I was a kid, I was like, my testimony is so lame. Because uh, I didn't do anything that bad except for be a sinner. Right? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and that's how I saw it. So I'm trying to pull up this verse. Um, no, I usually tell people, like, other people were doing drugs and whatever, and I was being a crazy philosopher as a kid. My parents had, like, I used to come up with crazy stuff. I'm afraid of what my kids are going to be like <laughs> between me and Christina, a lawyer and <laughs> a philosopher. Oh, my gosh. Uh, anyway, um, there's this verse I want to show you because I think it kind of sums up um, my story. In some ways, it's Matthew twenty three seventeen, and uh, it says, "You blind fools!" Uh, this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, "If anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing." But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. Um, and it's kind of a strange verse, but he's. He's saying, like, you're looking at the temple and you're, like, the gold and what makes it beautiful is what you're all about. And, like, you, it's like coming to a church and being like, oh, look at it, it's so beautiful. And that's what I go to church for. You hear a lot of people talk about that. Um, I grew up in the church. Um, my parents were youth pastors. And so we, we, we were uh, pretty poor. And we were, lived in Union City, New Jersey. I don't know if you know where that is, but to right outside the Lincoln Tunnel um, from New York. It's the first, like, as soon as you get off, that's what, that's the city you're in. And I w- we'd go there every week, and we, like, it was, yeah, it was an intense church. In terms of, uh, in terms of, like, we were all in the same socioeconomic kind of condition, and so my parents being youth pastors, we'd get calls really early in the morning, like, so-and-so was raped, she's in the park, like, we need to go get her, like, this happened, that happened, like, it was just, it was just everyday life, you know, grew up near the projects or in an intense city environment, you know what that's like, um, so it wasn't abnormal, but that normal, and then, like, going to church and hearing these messages, and just being like, I don't know, like, you people are, like, saying this kind of stuff, but you're really not, it, like, doesn't seem, A, to make a difference for anybody, um, because people are still, like, getting shot and dying, and then B, you will say one thing here, and then you'll go out and live a totally different life. So me as like this six, seven-year-old, I'm like, this is dumb. And then by 13, I started reading Karl Marx, and I was like, this is where it's at. And I, um, that's what everybody does at the age of 13. Um, so... I, it was the phrase about, like, religion is the opium, the people's... But it was more like the way he was talking about reality. It wasn't just that line. I mean, a lot of a lot of people who are atheists, like, love that line, but they don't read the context. And for me, it was the context, what he was saying. The way he was analyzing society and saying these things are tragic events and people aren't actually grappling with their reality. They're trying to find something to to placate themselves, to, like like a drug. You're trying to find some kind of drug to inoculate yourself to what's going on. And so I was like, that's exactly what's going on here. People are just not connecting with what's really happening. Uh, So from the age of 13 to like 14, 15, 16, that's like pretty much 
my perspective about things. I get more into philosophy um, and have more like kind of arguments about why why what people are saying in church is very inconsistent with the way that life is in experienced. Um, and at the end of that, my mom, who had uh, she'd been a, a off-Broadway actress, she's like, there was a competition coming up, so I always grew up around theater. Um, and my mom was like, oh, you should enter this competition. It's a national competition, and you should do scripture. And I was like, oh, I'll do scripture. And so in my mind, um, I was like, I'm going to do scripture, but I'm going to do it in such a way that, like, it will, like, fold up on itself and die, like, basically. That you, in my mind, I was going to deconstruct it with itself, that you would read. For me, it was the idea that you could read scripture, and there's so much stuff that most Christians have no clue about. Like, your average Christian has no clue that, like, the prophecy of Jesus being born coincides with the with a prophecy around the same time, like, a thousand or so years before about thousands and thousands of children being slaughtered, right? We don't like to talk about that at Christmas time because that's not very enjoyable. It doesn't make you, give you nice, happy thoughts about the baby in the manger. But, like, so then I was like, well, face that. Like, what are you going to do with that, you know? So if you're claiming God is a God of love, like, you need to be able to, like, reconcile these things. And I knew that, I knew scripture pretty well because as a kid I memorized a lot of it. So, I was like, let's, let's do this. So I'm writing this play, and I'm, like, really going deep into all these different passages. Um, and what I began to find, um, this verses in Scripture that stick out to me are kind of strange, but what I began to find was that there's this one Scripture where it talks about in Isaiah, and it's Isaiah 44, and he says, you cut a tree down, and you cut it into pieces, and half of the tree you use for wood, and you burn a fire, and you warm yourself with it, half of the tree you turn into an idol and you start to worship it. And I was like, well, that's exactly what like these philosophers talk about religion is doing. That like, you get this chair, let's say, and you put it in the closet and you're like, and you tell your little kid like, that chair can like, you know, goes around the world every day and then it sits in the closet and it saves people and it helps them out. And, you know, and you can, tell, you can tell me anything you want about the chair in the closet, but if you were ever open up the closet, I would see, oh, it's just a chair, you're lying. You know? And so as I get, began to get into scripture, I was realizing this doesn't work like a normal book does. Um, how it, there's a way in which you read a text and you're, you, you, are, and you are giving it meaning, right? You're producing the images and ideas. And that, that does happen in the Bible. It's not like the Bible some kind of gets up like a, you know, an animal and starts grabbing you by the face and telling you what it means. Um, but what does happen, like Daryl was just saying, is that the revelation of who Christ is engages with your very being. Like, I had questions and, and I had problems with Christianity, not because of the intellectual content of Christianity, although I would have said that. I had problems with it because I had experiences. And as I began to read scripture, even though it was from a perspective like, I'm going to tear this thing apart, like, it really began to speak to these things that were in my heart that I couldn't access on my own. And one of the deepest things was this idea that, like, I just wasn't good enough. And after a while, like, I became, I read scripture, and I, and I, would, and I knew apologetics pr quite well. And so I was like, this makes intellectual sense. Intellectually, I, I believe this. 
And so I began performing a lot of scripture, like, and turned into this large organization. And so we would go places and perform for thousands and thousands of people. And so this went on for like six years. And then there came to this place where I was like, I'm doing this, I'm engaging with it, and it's changing my heart. But at some point, like, I, like it was a story that I was performing as, to a certain degree, and I wasn't connecting with it as much. And then I went to a prayer meeting, and peop- several people came up to me, and they're like, you know, the Lord loves you no matter what you've done and no matter what you haven't done. And after the fourth person came up and told me that, I just started to, like, weep and cry because I realized as I was getting in the depths of, like, the Lord telling his story, I wasn't connecting as much with him saying, like, this is because of how much I value you. Like, I have been Jesus on the cross literally 150 times. Like, I know all of those verses, but I was not processing. I was, but I wasn't. I'd come to this place that even though I was a believer, my heart was not continually being, like, filled with the revelation of what that meant. That it was, that it was like, speaking to the depth of my being and speaking into the places that I still in my heart believed that God wasn't real. I had been a Christian, but I wasn't allowing the word of God to like wrestle with those things in me that just were dead sure that God isn't good and he's not a good father. And I mean, I come up here and I, I, I guess I am trying to I want to make us uncomfortable with where we are because even this morning, like my 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 wife and I were, were reading two days ago scripture, and I was like saying things that I remembered because I've remembered most of these New Testament stories. So I'm like, oh yeah, and I'm just like rehearsing through the lines, and she's like, this has really happened, and you're just like saying it, and I was like, yeah, it's true, it did really happen. Like I I had you know I. In my mind, I, I've got a lock on this story because I've memorized it. I've told people all over the world about it. I can converse with whoever, no matter what their you know, intellectual echelon is. But I wasn't connecting with it because I just had become complacent. And you will not understand what the sacrifice of the Father means unless you ask him to reveal that to you. Like, the Bible is here not so that you can glean information from it, so that, but that you can connect with what that is. Because what I realized quickly after winning, like, a lot of competitions and achieving a lot of things is I was so desperate for somebody to tell me I was good enough. But as soon as you tell me I'm good enough, you're, I'm just convinced you're not quite that accurate. I need somebody better than you to tell me I'm good enough. You ever get that sense? Like, it doesn't matter who tells you you need somebody better and then somebody better and then somebody better. And you want to know that you're good. And then there's a little speck. I was just, just talking with a classmate the other day after I was, she'd never heard about the father before. And she was like, you know, I just know that there's this speck in me, no matter how good I am. It's like, could be the size of a dime, but it's a black hole. It's infinitely heavy. And no matter what I do, I can never get rid of it. And that was where I was at. Like, no matter what I did, I was never good enough. No matter how many, and I was still operating in the church. I was still, like, 
I was be, I was like this very like avant-garde kind of leader um, of the arts, and I still walked around with this deep sense of like I I'm not good enough. And until I gleaned from the Father, like this is why I died for you. I died to take that away from you. I died so that you wouldn't continue to evaluate yourself according to some man or some woman so that I could tell you who you are. And salvation is this deep thing that, like, you could be in here and not have heard that before, or you could be in here and heard it 50 times. And I usually like to ask people to come to the altar because I want to come to the altar. I don't want you to come just because you feel like, oh, those are the people who don't know Jesus. Like, we need to wake up. Like, when Jesus looks at, Jesus looks at believers, he will tell them, depart from me. I never knew you. Like, I don't care. It's like uh, when you're in a relationship and you think everybody knows you guys are together, but the other person doesn't know that you guys are together. And you're like, no, it's so obvious. But you've never said it. Like, it's typically what guys do. But um, I didn't do that. But at the end of the day, if you ask the other person, they're like, I have no idea what's going on. Like, at the end of your life, it doesn't matter if you said that you knew Jesus. Did he know you? There's somebody else on the other line of that. Like, when we're responding today and we're saying, I want to know the Father, you have to know that, like, that's a declaration. It's not just the gold of the temple. You're not just, like, coming to church and, like, making a profession of faith. Like, we turn it into the gold of the temple. We're like, oh, see that person? They did X, Y, and Z. Like, no, it's the fact that it's leading you into a dynamic relationship with the Father, that you can, you know, like me, been a Christian for 12 years, but when I engage with the Word, I realize, like, I'm not listening to what's being said. I know what's being said, but I'm not listening to it. And if we're sitting here today, no matter like where we are, like I want, I want to ask you, like, are you listening to the voice of the Father, or are you just hearing a bunch of stories? Are you listening? Can you hear the voice of Jesus? Or is this season just like a, a day that you're like, oh, I get to dress up today, and I get to, like, it's, you know, I have a thesis, so, like, even this weekend, I was just, like, just thinking about my thesis, and I was not connected to the fact that if God came to the earth, it would be the most important event that had ever happened in human history, because ultimately, everything that we do is to know that, and I want you to know that if you, I want to be, I want to be connected to that reality, I don't want to continue to live my life a slave to other people's word to me and saying, well done, you did a good job. Like this past month, I've kind of been living my life hoping that my dean or my professor say, you did a good job. Good job, Christian. Harvard's going to give you a degree and put their name behind you. And that's going to take me so far. But if we really stopped and thought about what does the gospel mean, it means the God who created heaven and earth, the God who sits before beings we have never seen with our eyes, the one whom all creation groans for, looks at you and says, I am pleased with you and I desire you and I say you are the one that I want. That's the invitation to the gospel. It's not just some like decision you make and you sign your name on a line, you join a club and then you're part of a church and then you like do a bunch of stuff like no it's that you suddenly enter in and you say like 
I want you to tell me that I'm good enough. I want to hear that. And many people, many of us, myself included, like we've forgotten what that sounds like. And so I want to invite you guys up. If you've forgotten what that sounds like, or you've never heard what that sounds like, then I want to invite you to come and, and just put yourself before the Lord and say, God, come and speak to me. Getting up is not like, it's, it's nothing magical. It's just, it's just an act like when we step out with our bodies and we say, no, I, I really want you to know that I want to hear your voice. There's something that happens in that act. Same way that when you ask somebody out, you say, like, no, I want to be your boyfriend. I want to be your girlfriend. I want to, I want to be your husband. I want to be your wife. Like, that needs to happen in order for the relationship to move forward. You can't just think in your mind, like, I live like a Christian. So I want to, um, yeah, I just want to invite you to come up as well as we're playing. If you feel like, man, I haven't been connecting with the word of the Lord that's inviting me to know who I am, inviting me to know that I'm loved, then I want you to come up and just hear from the Lord.